even if you can't get a speaker on a prep call for the content, because there's going to be times where that happens, I think it is crucial to get them on at least a tech check. Because if you don't do that tech check, that's when like the fires happen, the stress happens, the chaos ensues. So that tech check, like if you can't do a 30 minute prep call, that's fine. But at least do the tech check. This is The Anonymous Marketer, a podcast where we tackle the biggest questions from the B2B marketing community. But instead of bringing on guests for a quick chat, every question comes from an anonymous source. These are the questions B2B marketers have, but are afraid to ask. Let's start the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Anonymous Marketer. I am your host, Kirsty Lang, and today we are talking about how to get comfortable hosting events as a marketer, something I'm still working on, fairly. Joining me today is someone I've been following on LinkedIn for a couple of months and have been dying to meet. It's Lindsay McGuire. Hey, everyone. Super excited to be here and share about my experience. Yeah, Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me today. You are also the mother of a toddler, so I know time is not a thing that you have much of anyway, so I extra appreciate it. Yeah, mom life is a whole thing. I feel like we could do a whole separate podcast on that, but... Um, oh, yeah, whole series, which there's one I'm working on, so I'll have to let you in the loop here soon. Oh my gosh, <laughs> please do. I need, I need all the working mom advice I could get right now because life is chaos. I'm coming off the back of a full week of solo parenting. And it's, yeah, it's so much respect to single parents because I don't know how they do it, honestly. My husband and I have that conversation all the time. Like, I don't know. Like, we are two very high-functioning adults, and sometimes we feel like we can't make it work, so. Gosh, yeah. I mean, we, when when we found out we were expecting, my husband and I were naturally both terrified. And the kind of the way we were rationalizing, it was like, people do this all the time. Like, we are we are high achievers. Like, we are, you know, like you say, functional people. We can handle this. We can't handle it. Like, <laughs> I think all parents feel that moment, though, you know, of like, everyone else does this. It shouldn't be this hard. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> How does everyone do this? Anyway, okay. As I say, as I say, I don't want to go off on too many parenting tangents because I tend to do that these days. So for those who may not yet have come across Lindsay's work, she is the Associate Director of Content and Campaigns at Goldcast. And Goldcast is a B2B events platform. So naturally, they lean very heavily on event marketing themselves. And if there was a star of the Goldcast show, it would definitely be Lindsay in my mind. <laughs> she is a phenomenal oh, event host, organizer, a presenter, and we'll get into why. But yeah, before we do that, I do want to kind of do a little bit of housekeeping for the podcast. I like to do this every time just so people know the context behind the show. It is called The Anonymous Marketer because we take questions from marketers without revealing their identities. So in order to submit a question, you can go to marketersindemand forward slash anonymous and you'll see a form where you can tell us a little bit about the biggest challenge that you are facing right now. And I will invite an expert like Lindsay on to give us their solution. So the question for today's show is a juicy one and one I'm very excited about. When I saw this, I was like, I should do this show first because then it will teach me uh, how to host the show. Anyway, so the question is, my boss wants us to start hosting some form of live events as part of our marketing. I can see the value, but the problem is that I'm probably the only person on the team who can really host them. I'm okay at public speaking, but hosting a virtual event feels like something completely different. How do I get comfortable on camera? What a question. This person works at a software company with 11 to 50 employees and on a marketing team of two to five employees. There's a lot to unpack here, but before we wade into the deep end, Lindsay, I want to go back a sec and talk about your background, because I think that's a really interesting run up to how you ended up where you are today and, you know, being the star of the Gold Class show. I feel like we are twin spirits in a way because you also got your start in journalism because you want to be a news anchor. Can you tell me a little bit about that, how long you were in journalism? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yes, I have vivid memories of being in high school and being so dead set on being a news anchor and a news broadcaster. And I've always been a performer. I have an extensive dance background. I was a palms girl in high school, a, like varsity athlete. So a lot of performance driven things. Unfortunately, I couldn't do theater in high school because I was an athlete and it just didn't work out. But always was a performer and it seemed like something that would easily fall into my repertoire and something I would also enjoy, find value in. And so when it came down to making my decision on college, 
originally I was looking at a lot of out of state college options and I made the realization like, hey, if you stay in state, you might actually make money instead of going into like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So I was like, hmm, okay, that seems like a better decision. So I am actually originally from Missouri. So I ended up going to University of Missouri, which just happens to be one of the best journalism schools in the world. So it worked out really well for me. (laughs) I I spent about the first year and a half as a broadcast journalism, like intent to declare that because you have to get through a certain point before you can declare in the J school. And I (laughs) got to the point of doing our site visits with like our partner broadcast agencies we would work with as a student. And the vibe just threw me off, the the feeling there, the chaos, like it was just a lifestyle that did not really pair well with my type A-ness. Like I'm kind of an anomaly where I am very much a creative, but I'm also very type A. Like I'm a very bizarre mix of the two. Oh, I feel that. I feel that deeply. That is, you've just hit the nail on the head. No wonder I'm so confused. And I feel like there must be more people out there like me. So if you are, please connect with me. I would love to chat because... You know, I got shoved a lot into like like account management positions and roles and people assuming that's where I would fit. And I was like, no, I'm a creative, you know, but regardless, I, I got to the new studio. We did kind of our tour and our meet and greets. And I really thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to wake up at like 4 a.m. or I don't want to get home at midnight, you know, and I just really thought about the lifestyle I would have. And so the reality set in of like, you know what? I don't think this is how I want to live my life. And so at that point in time, decided to shift from a uh, emphasis area of broadcast into strategic communication. So that is the kind of switch I made about halfway through my college career. That is what led me into the other side of journalism. I was a freelance magazine writer for about five years on my own, then decided to go in-house. And I'm kind of also an interesting case where I've always been a content marketer. It's always been my in-house role but I've had a very diverse industry set. I started in-house at a credit union, the largest credit union in Alabama. Then once I moved to Indiana, I joined United Way, the largest and most well-recognized nonprofit in the world. And then that's after United Way, that's when I got into tech. And now I've been in tech almost five years. So, okay. I mean, that's in tech, that's like ages. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're not... I mean, okay, you worked at Magazine, so you, would you classify yourself as having been a journalist? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that is what I did for years and years and years. You know, I wrote for a publication back in my hometown in Missouri. I've written for publications that are national. Definitely come from a journalistic background of finding people, finding sources, doing interviews, pulling quotes. And I think something you'll see trending across like, I don't want to say ex-journalist because once a journalist, always a journalist, but people yeah. who have maybe transitioned out is that we are firm believers that our background in journalism is what makes us strong content marketers. And especially with the shift into being more of like this media company, media driven strategy, especially in B2B tech. I think that's why so many of us are able to thrive in this atmosphere because yeah. we have those skill sets built in from, you know, back in the day when I was in J school. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been incredible. I love, I feel like this could also be a whole separate show, right? It's been, it, I mean, I pivoted to marketing, I think maybe four years ago, went straight into a startup, which was, you know, I was new in marketing. I was new to tech. I was at a startup. So it was a real kind of baptism by fire. But I'm really grateful that I was at a startup because I could just kind of figure out my own way and like learn on the go. I had some great mentors as well, which was phenomenal. But as you say, those skills are, so transferable. I mean, I do, my day-to-day job hasn't changed very much. So I was a lifestyle journalist and it was really just reaching out to people, interviewing them, fact-checking and just making, so I worked in health journalism for a while. So that was a lot of kind of making difficult concepts, scientific concepts make sense to people. And in tech, that's so similar, right? This Mm -hmm. is like a highly technical thing that you're making accessible. Yeah, I love that. And I think, of course, we're going to talk about your broadcast skills as well as we get further into this into the show but having worked in content 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 marketing has have events kind of always been part and parcel of what you do or are they a relatively kind of new addition to your skill set 
Yeah, you know, what's funny is I never would have classified myself as event marketer in the past. And my previous tech company before this, we would do webinars and we did do like a large scale customer event. But that happened while I was on maternity leave. So I actually missed out on that experience, which was kind of really like sad for me because it was such an, an exciting moment for our company. It was a massive, large scale, highly produced event. So that was kind of a bummer to miss out on that. But, you know, I was having a baby. So much more important than yeah. <laughs> the flip side. <laughs> you had to do here. <laughs> but no, I really don't come from an event marketing background. Like I said, we did events from here and there and stuff like that. But never it was never really a huge part of our go-to-market strategy or a huge part of our content strategy. So it's been really fun to get into Goldcast and an event-led essentially go-to-market function yeah and be able to have the opportunity to craft new series, to create new events. We just had our AI Summit last Wednesday, yes. which was a five session event with over a thousand registrants. And then to also be able to launch my own show, Donuts in Demand, which is all about demand generation marketing. It's been such a thrill, it's been so fun. And I think I've gone backwards when you look at like usual trajectories of, of marketers in tech who are new. So my first tech experience, the company was like, you know, 12, 14, 15 years old when I joined. So very far away from like that very startup culture. And now I'm in an org that is what, like three years old. So it's been very <laughs> funny to like go kind of, I guess, backwards. I don't know. I mean, tech's all over the place, right? So your trajectory yeah. is what it is. But no, I don't really, I have events experience from like an in-person perspective. I'm very heavily involved in the nonprofit space as a volunteer and board member and advocate. Okay. So I was very comfortable with like in-person events, but didn't really have a lot of experience on the digital side. So can you remember the first, so before I ask that, was, so Goldcast was basically the first role in which you had to start hosting yourself? Well, for live digital events, yes, but for hosting, no. So I did host a podcast at my previous company. Okay. So we we got ahead. I'm so proud of like the work Abby and I did over at Formstack. So we actually saw podcasting in the B2B space way before a lot of other people did. We started having conversations in June of like 2019 about how oh, we man. need to get into this new content format, this new style. There's this is going to be the next next, you know, frontier for content. And so Abby and I worked very dil diligently to kind of convince leadership and pitch the use case and the business case. And then I hate to say anyone benefits from COVID, but I mean, when you launch a podcast in, you know, January of 2020, mm -hmm. your timing can't really get any better. So I worked as producer on that show for the first um, three seasons and then transitioned as the host for the next two and a half seasons. So I do have a podcast hosting background. I come from podcasts, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit of a different experience in a live event because you're in a recording studio. It's just you and your guest. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a lot more freedom and flexibility, I would say, than a live event. <laughs> Yeah. The amount of times I'm like, wait, 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 just cancel. I'm going to re-say that question. But yeah, so I I'd love to know, firstly, transferable skills from podcasting and live events. Do you feel like they are very similar? Like if I, you know, when I eventually get really used to hosting this show, could I, would I be able to transition to live events quite easily? Or is there a, a steep learning curve? Oh, 100%. And I believe the future of podcasting is live events. I think we're already starting to see that happen. I think especially now that I'm at Goldcast and working on a B2B events platform, we are seeing so many of our customers looking into how can I take my live event series and repurpose it, redistribute it. I mean, all the things we've been talking about in content marketing. Mm -hmm. And I think people are also beginning to see the intense value of having a live event because then you take a very one-way conversation, one-way piece of content and you open it up to having your audience be a part of that and to make that content and to walk alongside you on that journey. And to see that happen is just really cool. So I think they are one and of the other. And actually I am so bought into this that I'm actually creating a series masterclass with Goldcast right now. It's a four part series that's gonna talk all about why having an ongoing digital event series is so important to a brand and to revenue and impact, especially as we're going into 2024 planning. But I definitely see, and, and on that show, I'm actually having a very diverse mix of guests that come from 
live event backgrounds, podcast backgrounds, YouTube video backgrounds. So I think they are definitely, they have their unique intricacies and their differences Mm -hmm. and their pros and cons. But at the end of the day, you are still acting as a host. And so the skills transfer no matter if it's, you know, on a TEDx stage live, if it's on a live digital event, if it's on a podcast, it's in and of the same. You know, there's little tweaks you might need to make and adjustments, but at the end of the day, you are acting as a host. I love that. That's And that in itself is, I don't know, I feel like one of the major skills that you need to develop if you are going to go into live events or podcasting or YouTube videos, whatever the case is. And to your point, they can all stem from a live event. But the question I did want to ask before I got sidetracked on that little uh, journey there was, do you remember your first live event and how did it go? Oh, my first live event. So as a host, I well, I mean, no, that's not right. I was going to say, I guess Goldcast, but no, 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 that's not right. So I have hosted digital events for Junior League of Indianapolis. So I think that's okay. probably my first like hosting gig. I was VP of grants probably about three or four years ago now for Junior League. And as part of my position as VP, I did a whole entire webinar presentation about our grant process, about granting did it both for our league members, but also did a separate kind of session for community members and people that are interested in junior league, both from like a granting perspective and a volunteer perspective. So I guess maybe that would be like my first technically live digital event as a host. Trying to think, why was that United Way? Um, I don't think we did any like virtual events. I think they were all in person. And then when I was at for, or when I was at Redstone Federal Credit Union, we didn't really do any virtual events either. They were all like in-person live lunches and get-togethers and networking events and things like that. So I really think my first virtual live event was hosting some grant educational workshops for Junior League. Okay. And how was it? Were you were you nervous? Was it something you were immediately like, "Oh, I'm a natural. This is easy." It's never easy. Like, I might make it look easy. It's never easy, y'all. Like, like it's never easy. <laughs> the point is to make it look easy and make it look effortless. But it's my I, problem. I think it's, uh, it's always a mix. I mean, there are some people who don't get nerves. And I think there's something, like, in their biochemistry that they're just like, it's know. fine. It's good. I think, for the most part, generally speaking, a majority of us will always have nerves. I mean, now I've been on a mic probably hundreds of times, and I still get a little bit of, like, Oh, it's event day or like it's your recording day. <laughs> and I think that's a good thing, though, because I think it allows you to always stay alert and always kind of be in like the yeah. right zone. Because we all know if you get too comfortable with something, that's when it becomes lax and boring or poor quality or, you know, going down that kind of rabbit hole snowball down the mountain kind of feeling. And I, I think, you know, I always get a little bit of nerves, but thinking about back to that first event, I think it was nervousness, but a mix of excitement, both for what I was talking about. And I'm just so passionate about the work I do with, with uh, Junior League. I'm actually on yeah. the Grants Council again now, so it's full circle, I That's guess. Awesome. Yeah. But I think when you find something you are passionate about, that does make it easy. So if you are passionate about what you're talking about, it will follow through in your in your content. And I think earlier I was, I was telling you about a podcast I'm starting. It actually has nothing to do with B2B marketing, so sorry to let you all down. Maybe I'll, I'll launch another show in that realm, but I'm actually working on a show called The Postpartum Doula Diaries. And oh, man. I, <laughs> I'm in. We'll talk more later. Don't Instantly. you worry. <laughs> but I think for me, one thing that has really resonated, especially when I was just kind of thinking about whether I should do this or not, it was the fact that every time I talked about it, you could see my passion. You could see yeah. my my energy and just like how much worth I saw in, in what I was talking about. And I think that can really lead you to being a better host, a better presenter. I do some MC work in person as well, like in-person events. Oh, wow. And one okay. thing that's important to me for that is... I'm finding events that really I'm passionate about and I have a connection to. Because you're, if you're mm-hmm. emceeing an event that you really don't care about, you have no connection or no you feelings can for, yeah, can yeah, it comes off away. flat. Like, it comes off mm-hmm. unauthentic. So I think that's also a tie in there too to be 
talking about things you're passionate about. And not all of us are lucky enough to do that. I get it. I was Sometimes you got to fake it to make it, you know, but it helps. <laughs> I think, I mean, that's that's a really interesting question. We've actually got one of the questions in my amazing spreadsheet of questions that people have submitted for the show about marketing something that you are not passionate about or that you, you know, aren't super excited about. And I think that's, that is the reality of what a lot of marketers, marketers have to do. And it just becomes doubly difficult when, you know, you have to put your face on it and it's you hosting things, it's your energy. What advice would you give would you give to folks in that situation? I mean, I guess I could kind of say maybe I've been there, done that. My space before was workflow automation. Not the sexiest thing in the world. <laughs> and I think in those situations, it's finding the unique pieces of your industry or your target market or your product that do make you excited, that do bring you a spark. So for me, it was finding that the no-code industry and the no-code part of our tool was so fascinating and it was so engaging to me because it really unlocked potential across all these different teams and people and roles that would never consider themselves like a technical person or a builder or a workflow automation specialist. And all of a sudden, once I found that angle and found that part of, of our audience and of our tool and our product, it just like really changed my perspective about what I was talking about. And it gave me something to be excited about. And it also gave me something to hook into as my own self, because I would yes. have considered myself as a no-code builder because I'm not a technical person. I'm a journalist, marketer, you know, host, like none of that goes into that technical side. But yet that was an area I could really see myself in and find myself being relatable to, especially because I was yeah. marketing to industries like healthcare, higher education, financial services. Granted, I come from a financial services background, but those other ones, it was like, I, mean, I know enough to be dangerous, yeah. you know? <laughs> so I think if you're in a situation where you're marketing a product or service or industry that's not the most fun or not the most creative or whatever kind of maybe possibly negative you want to put there, the key is to figure out what of my background, my education, my experiences can I tap into that also relates though too to like your go-to-market strategy and all the messaging work that you're doing. You can't just like go rogue and just go way off the lines, you know, like then you're going to get pulled and they're going to be like, you ain't hosting anymore. <laughs> no, I love that. That is the journalist in you for sure. You are finding, you are finding that, that little angle, that headline that is going to hook people in, except you're just Hooking yourself in, that's a weird metaphor. I'm going to wrap that one up there. Okay, so into the, we've kind of danced around this, but into the meat of this question, how can someone who is not super comfortable on camera get over that hurdle? How can you start to, you know, feel a little bit more at home when you need to start hosting live events as a marketer? Yeah, it's confidence, right? That is, that's the crux of a lot of things. You have to have the confidence to do it and the confidence to try it. And then you have to feel confident while you're doing it. And there's a few things that probably play into the trifecta there of making that happen. First, you know, the, the old age old saying, practice makes perfect, right? And I have a caveat, you don't wanna be perfect. People don't like perfection, especially oh, in the good. age of social media. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about live events, if you come off and, and Again, a tangent, you know, if you're doing like a TEDx talk or you're a keynote for, you know, a live in-person event with 5,000 attendees, you should probably be pretty close to perfect, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm nervous already. But if you're on a digital event and you're hosting, you know, a nice, engaging, personable event, it's okay to not be perfect. And like, if you come off too perfect, it's going to be robotic. It's going to come off unauthentic, maybe even boring and I think yeah. the most important thing is finding that balance between practicing enough that feel, you feel comfortable and confident, but don't be scripted because people can read into that and people feel that. So I would say first of that trifecta is the practicing and just doing mm -hmm. it and becoming comfortable with it. The okay. second part of it is to have a setup that makes you feel confident, right? I think especially as we've come more into the social media age and now the video age, you know, video marketing is such a crucial part of so many orgs go to market now. 
if you don't look good on that video stream, then you're not gonna feel good. And then when you see the videos post recording, you're editing and you're like, why do I look like shit? You know, like that's how you're gonna feel. <laughs> and so I think part of that is just building a setup that makes you feel confident and makes you look great knowing your setup. I think we were talking earlier offline that I've recently moved into a different room for my recordings. So I had to really get a feeling for how is my light different here? How is my sound different here? What do I need to adjust? For instance, I have two windows in this office, so it can be kind of hard sometimes. And when I jump on calls, oftentimes people see me get up and down and up and down because I have to adjust my lights and my curtains and things like that. So I think taking the time to get to know your surroundings and build a workstation that makes you look good, makes you feel good. And that's beyond just your tech. It's like also like what's on your desk, you know, have you built a, you know, everyone talks about my dogs. My dogs bring me a lot of joy, obviously. That's <laughs> why they're here. So building kind of a, a stage for yourself is a great way to think about it too. It's not only like Ooh, the tech, your camera and your mic and things like that, but also the stage you're presenting on. And there's actually a lot of research coming out about the impacts of that too. So having that, you know, in your head and, and knowing your background does kind of matter. And then I need the to do some work. <laughs> no, I love it. I love I'm like, oh. I, I mean, Star Wars, like I see that and I have an automatic connection right there. So you're, you're doing just fine. I didn't do that strategically. And then the third piece of that trifecta is kind of what I already talked about, but no matter what you're hosting, no matter what you're presenting, finding that passion point that will light you up and being able to understand your content. So you come off as a thought leader or as an expert, or at least you know what you're talking about somewhat. And there might be some cases where you're not supposed to come in as that person. You're supposed to come yeah. in as someone like, I'm totally new to this or like I'm learning or you're teaching me and, you know, adjust that to your content and your perspective and your expectations of what you're hosting. But that third piece of that triangle is really like, okay, I know what this episode, this show, this event is about. What can I bring special to the table and what's going to make me stand out and be different and not just sound like the other 80 talking heads that are probably in that space or on that topic. <laughs> and bringing it all back to that confidence thing, I think it's also that we all have a certain percentage of how much of this is innate and how much of it is worked on. That's oh, going to yeah. be different for every single person. And you cannot judge yourself against someone else whose percentages are way off. Like I talked earlier, my percentage of like innately, this is me and, and who I am and what I like is really high, like really, really high. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a, of a ledge there probably, right? Because I am comfortable doing these things. I mean, I wanted to be a news broadcaster, you know, I'm comfortable doing things like this. And so if you are maybe not so high in that percentage, don't automatically compare yourself to like me because that's unfair to like both of us, right? Oh, and so just keep <laughs> that in mind that there are some things innately in you that will make you shine and some things that will probably hold you back. And then, man, I'm sounding like real, like, you know, self-help I'm loving this. Right this now. feels very, very actionable to me. So I appreciate it. I'm like mentally taking notes. I wish it wouldn't, like, I almost want to grab a pen and paper, but thankfully I can listen to the podcast <laughs> when this comes out and I'm going to do that. But yeah, but just knowing yourself, knowing what you can bring to the table, being prepared, knowing your content and having the right setup, I think that will give you so much more confidence. And, you know, maybe in the beginning you're going to feel rough and feel like I can't do this or you're going to have doubts. But the more yeah. you do it and the more you realize, oh, it's not that bad. It is. And you find your rhythm, right? I feel I feel like that's a little bit where I am at the moment with this podcast. I mean, I know we talked about it. it's not quite the same as live event hosting, but there are awesome transferable things. And like I love I love doing this. It's a lot of fun, but I still feel I still feel really nervous. Um, every time I have to hop on a recording. I was super, super nervous for this call. But to the point that you made earlier, I always find that when I'm not when I'm the guest that I know the least or I'm least comfortable with, so like someone that I haven't met before, like you. I feel like I'm on, I'm a little bit more on form. Like, I don't know, it just so feels. Yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, to the, to, thank you for helping me segue there. So for our question asker, I think the idea of like getting comfortable, there is almost, there's a line you want to walk there, right? You don't want to become complacent. You don't want to become 
lazy. Yeah, and that's what I'm finding as well. I'm kind of leaning into the discomfort of hosting the show. And yeah, learning as I go. The practice is is so crucial. And I want to kind of circle back to that point you made about practice. When you say practice makes perfect, are you would you advocate for, I mean, I don't know, recording yourself, like uh, practicing your script or having a script to practice? Or do you mean kind of just the repetition of actually hosting live events is your practice? So it's a mix of two, I would say. And it's going to differentiate depending on the final product. So for instance, I was just a speaker on Metadata's demand event, and it was a pre-recorded event that ran live with the audience, though. And so for that situation, I definitely ran through my deck, you know, three, four, five times, made my tweaks, made my edits, did probably, I don't know, two or three actual cuts of my recording. Or no, wait, no, I didn't because I was in a studio with someone to record it. So I only did one take. Aha. Okay. See, the the mom brain, y'all, like sometimes you forget (laughs) things. It's real. Anyways, but before I got on that recording call, you know, I did probably four or five practice runs, did a few on video just to see how I looked, how I felt. And even like after having done a lot of these types of things, when I was on there watching, I was like, my head's bobbing a lot. I kind of look like a parrot. So you're going to continue. Oh, that's me. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, wait, have I stopped nodding for the past like five minutes? And, you know, even after you've done it for years, you'll still find things or situations where you still need to make edits and you still need to practice and you still need to learn things. And I think one differentiation for me there was that it was like a recorded presentation with a deck. And I think maybe in those situations, my mind is like, oh, you really have to over exaggerate and like really have the energy because you're presenting a deck, right? Like it's a deck. (laughs) <laughs> but then when I watched recording, I was like, oh, I think I need to like control my head a little, just a little bit. But then when it comes to that practice part, again, it always depends on the type of event, the presentation of the event, the format. For me, for instance, for Donuts and Demand, my show for demand generation marketers, I do a run of show document that has all of our segments laid out, but there's no distinct like finite this is exactly what we're going to talk about sections, right? Because I want my guests to be able to dictate that themselves. And I also want them to have the freedom and flexibility to approach it how they want to. As long as I know like, okay, our time cues, like how long we have for things and what I need to set the stage with, that's enough to make me feel comfortable. But sometimes you're going to be in situations where I need a little bit more than that, or I need distinct things For instance, I hosted a sip and share with Zoom Info and Chili Piper. And for that one, I did have very scripted moments and some scripted kind of changeovers. We had some cocktail demonstrations and I needed to make sure I said exactly what I needed to say. So I think it'll be a mix of very scripted parts mixed in with very authentic off the cuff. And it's going to be circumstantial to the person, right? Like I am very comfortable off the cuff and I usually can somewhat bullshit my way through a lot of things, (laughs) but some people might not be as comfortable or feel as good about that and might just prefer to have more of everything set in stone and clear and concise. And so you have to figure out what works for you, right? Like what works Mm -hmm. for me might not work for, you know, someone over here who isn't as comfortable in those situations. But then at the same time, like, I don't know, could I get on a stage and read a teleprompter 100% and like present verbatim a speech? Not quite sure. So I think it's to the person on like how much that preparation and practice comes in. I think, Lindsay, you've actually just raised a really good point that I didn't have in my list of questions because I'm like, I'm one of those people that I need to have something of a script. And I think especially now, so I'll kind of like plan out my intro you know, the bio, the question. And I think that's why people watching this on YouTube can probably see me reading a little bit. And I'm trying to like make that look a little bit more natural. But I think as I kind of get, you know, kind of more used to hosting, I'll be able to be a little bit more off the cuff because that's not something that comes super naturally to me. I find that when I kind of go off the cuff, I go off on tangents. And you know, those moments when you're like, what is coming out of my mouth right now? I need to make it stop, but I'm not sure how to wrap it up. So you just keep, you keep going. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm literally doing that right now because I've gone completely off the tangent of the question yeah, I wanted to ask. But when it comes to, so this is something we've touched on a little bit, but I want to get a little bit deeper because hosting 
being the host often means interacting with guests, engaging with other people and helping them feel comfortable is also like you'll feed off their energy. There's a, there's a bit of a give and take and kind of a, anyone hosting, you know, live events as a marketer will probably have to deal with, you know, doing an interview, hosting a workshop, some form of give and take with a guest. What would your advice be on that specific facet of event marketing? Like getting the guests feeling comfortable and engaged. Is that kind of like the root of that question there? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. for clarifying. I, I just want to make sure I was like spewing in the right direction because you can I take mean, that question my direction in a lot is, of angles. You know, we get that. <laughs> okay. This is going to be like an answer that people probably like, ah, oh, damn it. But it depends a lot on your guest, right? Like there are okay. some guests who are just like, I don't need a prep call. Like we don't need to chat. Like I'll be fine. You're like, Okay. And as a show host, like, you know, you might need to do some digging to be like, okay, I feel better. Like they've done this. I've seen they've done this. Like I know they can pull this off. And in those situations, that makes you feel comfortable. But it really is your guest, right? And people have different energies. They have different deliveries. They have different styles. For instance, on my AI summit that we ran last week, which is available on demand if anyone wants to watch, oh, yeah. there was one of our sessions where the presenters literally mapped out all their content for all my questions they had kind of where they wanted to go what they wanted to say what they wanted to hit on and it was just this crazy beautiful wonderful document but then i had other groups that had no notes in the run of show doc and just really like fed into our conversation in our prep call and just said oh i don't i don't need to note anything we'll be fine like i kind of know where i want to go so it really depends on your guests. And it, it's hard, yeah. especially if you're a type A control freak kind of person. It can be really hard. And a lot of marketers <laughs> have trust issues. And it's a live event. And like a yes. lot goes into that. And I think I'm now finding out like why it's so stressful. Like, you know, we always hear how event marketers, whether you're a field marketer, in-person events, digital, no matter what, it's high stress. And I think I get it now because... As much control as you have as a host, and this is what I learned as a podcaster, some you can't control it all. And a lot of it actually yeah. is out of your control. I mean, I would come into recording sometimes for Practically Genius, my podcast, and I would have done so much prep and sent the guests so much good like prep work and some like inspiration questions. And this is where we're going to talk about. And this is the description. And then they'd come on and they would just like go in this really rogue, wild, crazy like direction and no matter what i did like i couldn't get them pulled back in and you oh, just have so to hard. like in those it's moments hard. let it let it go you just have to lean into it and you just have to know as a marketer like well this episode's not gonna be what i thought it was and i'm gonna have to do a lot more work on the back end but that's life we're humans right like it just happens yeah. And so it, I hate that the answer is like, it really depends on your guests, but it does. And trying to do enough on the front end to get a feeling for the comfort level of your guests. And it's going to depend on your show, right? Like for Donuts in Demand, we have like directors, VPs, high like executive level people who are yeah. mostly like very comfortable presenting because it's part of their role as a go-to-market leader. And so in those instances, I probably don't have as much worry or like, you know, stress in that realm. But if you're going into something that's less in that industry or with yeah. like guests who are not as comfortable, like with Practically Genius, one of our strategies was to focus more in on the people who are leading in that subject matter expert area and not so much like had, you know, huge followings or great videos or like I could find a bunch of stuff of them speaking. For some people, it was their very first podcast. So yeah. that comes with some like different stresses. But in those situations, you're doing it for a reason more than likely. And so just trust like it's worth the, worth the extra stress and extra work that might come along with that. Yeah. And sometimes the magic is the chaos. Right. So, I mean, sometimes you'll find a nugget in there or I think I, that's something that I found a lot with with journalism and the interviews that I did with people, even if they weren't live. It was something that I hadn't planned to ask them, something that they just brought up, you know, off the cuff. And that was the magic. That was the headline. Yeah. The one thing, last thing that I did want to ask you, second last thing I'm like, is your, you mentioned a prep call. And that's, I mean, that is something I had not thought of, but obviously is you know, probably best practice for someone going into this. What goes into hosting a prep call? How does that look for you? Yeah. Tell us about them. Yeah. I think prep calls are much more crucial to live events 
because they're live, right? You need to have more of a context and confidence going into a live event that it's going to go the way you want it to go. And especially as a marketer, right? Like you are creating event descriptions and registration pages and social media posts. And so you have to ensure that the content you're delivering live on stage is going to align with what you've put out in market, what you've told your guests, what you've told your audience, because that's going to hurt your brand. Like if you put something out the door and said, hey, we're going to talk about X, Y, Z, and you get your guests on there and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I was going to talk about how to dress up an elephant for Halloween. Totally ridiculous and silly, but you know what? That's my mindset right now. I love it. I and then that. they come on and they talk about how to like brush a fox's teeth. Like you're going to be like, what just happened? Right? Like, and so for live events, especially, I think prep calls are crucial because mm. you can set the stage with your guests. You can review the run of show. People can feel confident in how much time do I have to answer here? What actual topics do we need to make sure I hit home on? Are there things you may you might not want me to talk about or say? Mm, you know, yeah. there's instances where there are situations where you might want to avoid X, Y, Z or don't bring up this or stuff like that. And so those prep calls, I think, are crucial to being sure that you nail your content in a live environment. Because in like a podcast recording, you have a lot more, like I said, flexibility and freedom earlier oh, in the goodness. show. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, it takes a lot of that stress off, which is great. Yeah. And so the prep call for a live event, I think is crucial. And my best practice for that is just to try to set your guests up for success before you even get on that prep call. So being mm -hmm. able to build a run a show doc, and I'm perfectly happy to share mine with people if they want it. Just feel I free. was going to ask you, <laughs> I feel like, is that a LinkedIn post that you need to write? Or is that content Probably. that Goldcast has somewhere? Like I would love um, to know. I know we'll we do have our own. Yeah. So I can share our template for it. And then also my donuts and demand one happy to share. But I think doing the prep work before your prep call is so important. So having that run a show doc, having all the information available to your speakers. So what's the event description? What is like the short pitch for it? You know, what are the topics that you need to make sure that you deliver on or you discuss? And it depends on the event on how much flexibility you have there. Like for instance, our sip and share series, we have a lot of flexibility because it's going to align with our guests, yeah. but maybe something like AI Summit, I had very specific topics for each session. So I had to make sure my guests aligned with that. And so I think being able to wrap everything up and put a beautiful bow on it. And well, actually that's not quite correct because your run a show doc is going to look real messy from the beginning. So it's not going to look beautiful. That but feel good. as much work as you can do on the front end to make your guests feel like, oh, I know what I'm going to talk about on this prep call and on this live event. And I'm not yeah, going I'm in blind. I'm not feeling loosey-goosey and kind of like, what the hell is going to happen? Like, I don't even know. And then during that prep call, so for, let's say, Donuts and Demand, I do 30-minute prep calls. The actual live event is the second Tuesday of every month. And I try to do the prep calls for like, let's say, so my next episode is November 14th. And so I want to do my prep call with my December guests before that November 14th date, because when November yeah. 15th comes, that's when I'm starting promos for my next show. So I need to know yeah. my two to three sentence description. I need to know what to put in my email marketing. So doing that prep call that far ahead of time might seem kind of wild to some people, but I have found it's crucial to being sure I'm delivering on the messaging. I'm delivering on the content I feel confident in what we're going to talk about. My guests feel confident what they're going to talk about. And as far as like what happens in that prep call, first few minutes is just like a live meet and greet between us because usually my guests probably won't know each other and might not even yeah. know me very well. So getting comfortable, breaking the ice, you know, having that moment. We'll do about, you know, a 15 to 20 minute conversation about the show segments, what goes into them. What's fun about Donuts in Demand is that we have two segments that the guests get to choose themselves. So I select oh. four or five different segments from my segment list. I say, here's what I'm considering for this episode, which two resonate most with you. So that ensures, that. again, people are passionate about what they're talking about. Choose and I'm just not forcing them. Yeah, I'm not forcing them to talk about something that they're like, I don't know what the hell to say about this. Or like, I, I'm not great at this, you know? And so we take time to review that show flow, go over any questions. I get a very high level sense of like, where might you take this? And I leave some notes just to give myself context. 
And then the last five, 10 minutes is just a review of the Goldcast platform. Make sure my speakers feel confident getting backstage, knowing where things are, what buttons do what, you know, where do you look at the chat? Just making sure that they feel confident the day of when they join me backstage 10 minutes before, like they know how to find me, they know where to go, they know how it works. Just lessening any stress I can for my guests. That is that is goal. That is such a great point about the tech that you're going to be using. I remember when we hosted, back when I worked at Comsol, we hosted the Community Club Summit. I think it was like our first, and it was huge. It was still in lockdown. So people were like, the idea of like a virtual summit was exciting. I mean, it obviously still is exciting, but you know what I mean? Like the, you know, that was the, that was like it was a the huge hunger. point of social. Yeah. yeah, there was like a, it was a huge point of like networking and social connection because that was literally the only way you could do it at the time. Anyway, the, you know, just getting guests on calls beforehand and walking them through the platform that we were using. Unfortunately, it wasn't Goldcast. I think it was actually pre-Goldcast's time. It was a while ago. But, it um, might have been, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, so that was a huge, huge thing. Inevitably, we had guests who, you know, couldn't figure it out like the second time, but I think it, it made a huge difference and it made the flow of the summit just so much better. Okay, going off on a tangent again, Lindsay, is there anything else that you feel like you need to add to this conversation? What other advice do you have? Have we missed anything? Yeah, a few things. I want to add on to kind of the back end of that portion that you just talked about. And even if you can't get a speaker on a prep call for the content, because there's going to be times where that happens, I think it is crucial to get them on at least a tech check. Because if you don't yes. do that tech check, that's when like the fires happen, the stress happens, the chaos ensues. So that tech check, like if you can't do a 30-minute prep call, that's fine. But at least do the tech check. Or if that's not an option, or if your guest is fighting you, or, you know, think that happens sometimes. Like it's kind of crazy, but it happens. Then at least do something like what I do for Donuts and Demand is my colleague Reagan actually created a Loom video that walks the speakers yeah. through the system. So, okay. you know, they can watch on their own time if they need to watch it a few times, if they like have a certain way they ingest videos best, like it gives them the power to do that. But it also gives me like a second backup of like, okay, well, if they weren't quite paying attention on the tech check, like here's yeah, an asset they have. Yeah, yeah 100% of the time. So I say tech checks are crucial because that will make or break you in a live event. Like if you are yep. about to go on at 2 p.m. and your guest is not backstage at 158, you're going to be like, uh-oh, 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 what do I do? We had that. We had that. We had to swell for time. It was very awkward. And, you know, it's going to happen, though, and you have to just embrace those moments when they happen and pray and that you have someone who's good off the cuff to, like, kind of <laughs> finagle as you're figuring Invest out things in a backstage. DJ or something. <laughs> And my, old, my other point I want to talk about too, going back to that confidence thing and how to feel comfortable on calendar, on calendar. What the, what was that? I mean that too. <laughs> <laughs> on camera, how to feel comfortable on camera is to be comfortable with how you look. And I think there's a lot that can go into that and you'll find your groove over time. But you know, if you are someone who wears makeup, like know which makeup makes you feel the most badass, makes you feel the most confident. I've talked on LinkedIn how I like to wear like a red lipstick like I'm wearing now or like a hot pink lipstick because it just makes me feel like good. You know, it just makes me feel bold. It makes me feel energy. And it might be that that's not your thing. And like, you're like, eh, I don't, I'm not really into that or that's not my jam. Well, then figure out like, is there a hairstyle that makes you feel most confident? You know, do you just need to like wear a certain necklace? I know a lot of people I have, have very, yeah, see, you got, you got a hairstyle rocking, you got some curls. <laughs> <laughs> or like, yeah. you know, some people have very sentimental jewelry and things that might bring them confidence or bring them peace. Just finding little things like that can make all the difference. And one thing that might seem a little more fringe to people, but I was at a recent Indie Maven event and they had someone there who was actually certified in, I forget the term that she actually used, but she could essentially work with you to figure out the best colors for your eye color, your hair color, and your skin tone. I need and this in my life. I know. I need to find out like who she was and like dig back into it. But I think people don't realize like the difference that can make. Like for instance, I used to be it's hard to believe I used to be blonde, like platinum blonde <laughs> and golden blonde. And I could never wear yellow. It just did not look great with my skin and my hair. And it just was like not a good look. 
But now that I have this bright red hair, yellow is actually a good power color for me now. And so just taking the time to find those little things that really make you feel like, huh, you know, I, I, I feel like myself, but I feel like a very polished, yeah. strong, confident version of myself. Because if you try to do something and you're like, this isn't me, like you're going to feel real weird. Like, you know, if you see a host on a video and they're rocking some really cute cat eyeliner and you're like, oh man, maybe I should try that. If you try that and you're like, oh my God, why do I look like this? Like, this is not my jam. Like ditch it, you know, like don't try to conform. Don't try to do something just because you saw someone else do it. Find what really is going to speak to you and, and bring you that passion and energy and peace and joy. And then that will just make you feel more confident at the end of the day. Oh man, Lindsay, I love how actionable this has been. I'm, and I'm also very grateful that you didn't tell me to picture the audience naked because that's the standard. Uh... <laughs> that is such like a, that, I, no, that's a nightmare. Like, I don't know. No. See, that doesn't make me feel confident. That makes no. me feel like I'm going to vomit in a corner because if they're naked, am I naked? Like, what's happening? What's going on? This is a nightmare. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for this actionable advice. I am going to go away and, and take a whole bunch of it with me. I'm going to go and get my, face, hair, assists, I don't know, all of the things, the prep sheets. The one thing that I'm really taking away from this conversation that I hadn't quite considered, I felt like all of the work that you would have to do was on the call or on the recording at the live event. But I think the prep work is, I mean, you're what, you're 80% of the way there in terms of kind of feeling confident, feeling comfortable on camera. Like if you can tick all of those boxes and that's not necessarily something that you have to have like an innate skill for like hosting, you know, I mean, that's something that you can literally do when you get that done, you are sorted, you're going to feel a whole lot more comfortable. And then, yeah, I just thank you so much for this. I really, really appreciate your insight. Lindsay is phenomenal. Please follow her on LinkedIn. We are going to include all of the links in the show notes to Donuts and Demand, Lindsay McGuire's LinkedIn page. Yeah, so you can find her fantastic work. And that is it for the day. Lindsay, thank you so, so much for your time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Christy. And perfect timing because uh, if anyone's in the Midwest, it is the uh, tornado warning sirens going off. So if you hear oh that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm very stressed for you. Is, are you going to be okay? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, I, I guess that context in the Midwest, we have so many like tornadoes that they do monthly testing on the first, for, or okay. the, I guess last Friday of the month. Yeah. So. Okay. That's, I mean, I live in South Africa, so we don't have anything like that. We have a whole different set of things that we need to be yeah. worried about but you know tornadoes are not one of them yeah thank goodness they're testing again being comfortable with things going wrong and going haywire you know like Siren. you just gotta roll with it and i'll leave everyone with this like anyone can be a host it's just you need to know yourself and know your content and know your confidence right so anyone who wants to be a host you can just might take some work but i believe in you i love that i just i feel like can we just let's end it there let's end it there sounds good Thanks for checking out this episode of The Anonymous Marketer. This show is part of Marketers in Demand, a network of podcasts featuring the world's leading B2B marketers. Unlock your full potential as a B2B marketer by going to marketersindemand.com.